I think uh, last J- January of 2017, I, I had five. Uh, I had seven weeks that I thought I, I thought, what am I going to do with seven weeks? It was just getting ready for Easter, so I said, hey, I think I'll just do the letters to the seven churches in Revelation, and so I, I, I we went through those, and then the, and we took a break, kind of midstream there because of the the power of the, the warning that Ephesus received. Remember, Ephesus was said, return to your first love, Jesus said, or I'm going to remove that lampstand. So we, right after that, we just stopped and just gave a Sunday to, to, to worship, just to, just to fuel, the, to trim the wicks and keep that lampstand going, right? And uh, so thank you. Yeah, so amen for that. And then, of course, I thought, and we're done, and scene, and that's enough, right? Because we've wrapped up that, and then I stopped, and then I got protests, and, and text messages and Facebook message complaints of, uh, hey, there's more than three chapters in Revelation. And, uh, and so I thought, okay, we'll give it a whirl and we'll go through it. Well, now it's October of 2018. Wow, here we go. So I don't know, but maybe I, was, I might have done it this year. Anyway, we've been at this thing for like 10 months or something, right? So I, maybe, I might have just added a year on for fun. Anyhow, whoops. But uh, we are winding to a close, but... We are actually slowing down at the end on purpose, much like we were very slow at the, at the start. The reason why we're slowing down is because Revelation chapters 21 and 22 describe for us the promise of the age to come. They describe for us the new creation. What we see in chapters 21 and 22, that is for you and me, For those of us who have placed our faith, our hope in Jesus Christ, that is is heaven in and for eternity. All of the things that we've heard about, that we we celebrate about heaven and and, and our our eternal home are described for us in Revelation 21 and 22. It is the depiction of what all of the Bible, not just the New Testament, but the massive, huge swaths of the Old Testament, the prophetic literature, those prophets, it's it's a mistake to think, oh, those prophets were looking to things that would be fulfilled uh, in the exile or post-exile. Oh, no, friend. Those prophets had the same Holy Ghost that that John the Revelator had, and they were looking forward to something beyond beyond time and eternity. And and they were seeing a new creation. Isaiah, they, they described it implicitly that there is a that there's a new creation there's a new world coming there's a great thing there is listen there's one single hope that humanity the people of god the redeemed people of god have had all this time and that hope is described for us in two chapters of the whole book now now yes it's described elsewhere hinted alluded uh visited a little bit but now john the revelator reveals in revelation what we're looking for. And it's so significant because this is when the Bible, when the, especially the New, the New Testament speaks of our inheritance and, and what, we'll be, what we're going to receive and these things that shape us and move us and focus us. It's right here. This is what we wait for. This is what we are hoping in. This is our destiny. This is the substance and the sum of all our biblical hope. Therefore, we cannot breeze past it. A friend of mine said that he was, uh, he's part of a network of, a, of, of a church campuses, and he, they received uh, in, in the instructions that the, the, all the campuses, were they, they're delivered messages that they speak. And he said that they were going to start on Revelation soon, and they had to go through the whole book in nine weeks. I chuckled. Yeah, I, I don't have faith for that. Uh, but what we see then 
is in Revelation 21 and now 22 is the promise. This is the promise. But what we've also said is that this is not something that we are just waiting for to happen in the future only, but that we actually have received a pledge, a down payment of that promise now. We are people who have been stamped with eternity. This is what uh, one of the main verses that help us see this is Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14, where the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, says that having believed, you were sealed in him. That means stamped. Not, that's not, that's not a plastic wrap over the top of your head, keeping your salvation inside you. That is, that is a stamp, that is a, a smear that you have received of, with the, of the Holy Spirit himself. And he's called the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge, as a down payment, as a first installment of our inheritance. That means the substance of the Spirit, what you, have, what you have now is the same substance, it's the same essence as that which is to come. That means you are living in the same power, the same presence, under the same influence of eternity right now. Now there's more to come. Somebody say it out loud, there's more to come. We live between the ages. Christ has already won the victory. That Holy Spirit promise has already been poured out. That's the already. Theologians call it already, not yet. Which means, yes, the victory has already happened. Yes, the Holy Spirit has already been given. Yes, you've already been sealed. Yes, you already live in the power and you have tasted of the power of the age to come already. But there's more. There's still more to come. The, the final consummation, the final victory, the final conclusion of the matter has not yet come. So we live between the ages. There is a tension. But John already told us that in the very first uh, chapter of Revelation when he said, I am your fellow, your participant in, he said, the kingdom and the tribulation and the perseverance. That's, that describes the tension of between the ages. We are people of the kingdom. The kingdom of God has already come and landed upon our lives. It lives inside of us. The substance of eternity, the presence of God, we are stamped with that. We live for that, and we contend for that. At the same time, we live in a world that is not yet passed away. We still live amongst the first order of things, and so there is resistance, particularly from, Revelation has told us, from the dragon. From the enemy, there's, there's tribulation, there's assault, there's suffering from him against the church. And in, the, and in between that tribulation and kingdom, we persevere. We persevere. That doesn't mean hide behind a rock. That means put up your dukes. What we see in Revelation 21 and 22 is, is not, is, we are not fully there yet. But there is breaking in here. Because of this, you and I live as people of that promise. We are not waiting for some sort of pie in the sky by and by. Well, someday we'll go to view the land. Oh, yes, the land will be beautiful and wonderful. But we are living with the pledge of that promise now and with hope in that promise for our future. See, if we don't keep an eye on it, if we don't remember where we're going and not only that we're going there, not only that heaven is our destiny, but our assignment. If we don't keep an eye on that eternity, we lose our way. We lose our direction. We almost become a little bit comfortable here and a little bit of, to have too much affection for this, for this world that's passing away. 
Not only do we lose our identity, we begin to lose our hope. We do not measure our life or our identity or our purpose by our history or by our circumstance, but by our promise. We do not measure our life, our identity, or our purpose by our history, by our circumstance. We measure it and set it by promise. This is the gravity. This is the importance of this phrase. Now, come back. This is why I want you to sing that song. Because now it gives more gravity, gives more depth and texture to your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As in heaven, so on earth. Heaven is our promise, and it's also our pledge and our purpose today. So if you have your Bibles, and we're looking, let's look together now at Revelation chapter 22. And in your, your, your bulletin insert has notes for uh, all the way through uh, the end of uh, verse 5. Mm, sorry, we're, we're going to get to three and a half. So just bring your inserts back next week, okay? So here's Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. Then he showed me a river of the water of life. Clear as crystal coming down from, pardon me, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. <laughs> In the middle of its street, on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And then verse 3, just the first part. There will no longer be any curse. The, today, the promise of the age to come is paradise restored. What we see in the first part of chapter 22 is Eden. This book opens and closes with Eden. with authors that lived millennia apart. It's God's design. But this is not, I think there's some crazy novel or a book or something. Why do, why do I have that phrase, return to Eden? That sounds like something I've heard somewhere in pop culture. I don't know, maybe it's bad, I don't know. Uh, but this is not a return to Eden. This is, this is a recreation, this is a magnification of Eden, Okay, this is Eden 2.0. And you'll see that some of the differences as we look at it. This is much better. In this, in this Eden, there is a river. Come on, somebody say, there is a river. Verse 1, then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and from the Lamb in the middle of its street. There is in heaven for eternity, there is a river flowing directly from the throne of God and from the Lamb. This is that river, in other words, that the there is after verse five, there is no distinction between the one who's on the throne and the Lamb. You just have to embrace the mystery that that's God. 
I, I will posit this or offer this if you're in for it. I think that that's John the Revelator talking about God, God creator and God redeemer. Sitting right there. And, fr- and, and this also tells us that, that the, the memory of redemption will live on for eternity. It'll never be a forgotten story. It'll, it is the everlasting gospel. For eternity, there will be, there's a river that will flow from the throne of God and from the Lamb. And it flows right down the middle of the street. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, somebody told me last week, they, they did the math on the 1,500-mile cube, and it's some sort of a multi-billion square mile, something or another. You know, it really is the Borg. But, uh, so clearly, there's more than one street. So the idea isn't that there's not, there's not just one street and everything else is, you know, sidewalks or something. But he's saying that right down the center, that right down the right in the middle, the center of this of the, of new creation is the river that's flowing from the throne of God, right from the Lamb. And it this 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 river is originating. It's, it, there's a one source, one thing, and this river is the flow of life. It is the life of God. It is, we understand, it is the flow, it represents, it speaks to us of the flow of God's Spirit Himself. It is the flow of God's Spirit. In Ezekiel chapter 47, this prophet saw this river. Lifetimes and lifetimes and lifetimes before John, Ezekiel, in the Spirit, he sees this river. And he describes it as a river flowing out from the temple. And Ezekiel tells us that as he, he watches this river, and the longer that it flows, this is so cool, that it gets, it, the, 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 this river gets deeper and wider the, the, the longer it flows. You understand what we're saying here is that for eternity, the flow of God's Spirit is deeper and wider. There's always going to be more of God to be at, one, to be at wonder over, to, be, to have gratitude for, to experience, and to enjoy. It will never be old. It will always be fresh. As a matter of fact, Ezekiel says, and wherever this river goes, there was life. In his day, he said, I see this river, and it flowed from, from the temple in Jerusalem all the way to the Dead Sea, that place where there's no fish, where it's full of salt, there's no life. He said, but when this water hit that which is dead, it sprung to life. This is the water, the river of life. The psalmist saw this river in Psalm chapter 46 and verse 4 when the psalmist said, there is a river. Somebody say, there is a river. He said, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. That's what we're talking about right now. This new Jerusalem, the holy city, is the city of God. And the psalmist said, there's a river whose streams make glad that city, the holy dwelling places of Most High. In other words, this river's current carries great joy. There is this river, the current of this river is joy. And wherever it goes, there is life and there is joy and increasingly so forevermore. And we've got to stop right now because it's not in my notes. But if that's true of there, then it's also true in measure and in substance and in essence here. There is a river that right now is flowing that with and in its current, the current of the Holy Spirit is carrying joy. That's why the Apostle Paul will write again and again, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. That's why the prophet in Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is your strength, because the joy of the Lord is is synonymous with, it is the essence of God's very presence. That river is our promise for eternity. 
But that river isn't just waiting for us. It's flowing right now. It's flowing right now from the very person of Jesus. Right, right from where it's going to flow forever. It doesn't change sources. It's flowing right now from the person of Jesus. John, Jesus, in John chapter 7, in verse 37, it says, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, Now this was a, this was a feast that, that actually anticipated Messiah and anticipated that when Messiah come, he would pour out the Spirit. And they would, on that last day, they would gather, they would gather huge pitchers of water and they would pour them into the streets and, it would, and the water would pour out into all of the gutterways. And the idea was, the promise is, the out, that Messiah would pour out the Holy Spirit and the Spirit would pour out everywhere. There would be no escape. No, he would, there would be no limit to the, to the Spirit's influence and outpouring. The idea was that the Holy Spirit would, would fall upon the Gentiles and the nations as well. Of course, at that time, they weren't really up for that. But that's what the prophets saw. So they were celebrating this prophetic exercise in this feast, this last day where they were celebrating. They knew Messiah was coming, and they were hoping he was coming. And the Messiah came, he would bring them the gift of God's Spirit. And so they're celebrating this, and at the epoch, the, 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 the moment, the climax of the moment, Jesus stands up and says, it's me! Come to me if you thirst, come to me and drink. Because as the scriptures promise, as the scriptures describe, out of me, out of him, out of my belly, out of his person, will come rivers of living water. Jesus was and is and will be the source of this river. And, he's, and that water, the water of God's spirit to bring you life, it's, the, it's currents that carry joy, is present today in the person of Jesus. Available to you and me if you'll come to Christ and drink. This, again, this is our right now pledge of a forever promise. This is why we need to understand we, and, and embrace that the fact that the Holy Spirit is the supply of the life of God. He's central. This is why when Paul wrote to the church at Galatia in chapter 3, he first reminded them of their, their initial reception of the kingdom of God. And he simply said, did you receive the spirit by doing works or by the hearing of faith? He reminded them that their initial encounter, the, their, their experience of salvation was a reception of the spirit himself. And furthermore, he said, he's after, a few verses later, he said, when he asked them, are you trying to, having begun by the Spirit, are you trying to complete this or work this out on your own after that? He said, no, you mustn't because, because God sub- continues to supply you with the Spirit. He provides or supplies the Spirit continually by faith. This is our right now pledge of an eternal promise. This is why Paul will say to the church at Ephesus later, he will tell them, he will implore them, he will command them, be being filled with the Spirit. Continually surrender your life to the Spirit's infilling and influence. He's the source of your life. Amen. As a result of that river in heaven, as a result of that river, there is eternal life. Somebody say there is eternal life. John says, on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing 
of the nations. John tells us that the tree of life bears fruit every month and in a great unceasing supply. That's, that's just to tell us that there is, there's no lack, zero lack. There's more than enough. There is this overflow, abundant, because everybody, anybody who knows, I don't know much about fruit trees, but if you know something about something, you know that fruit trees don't bear fruit every month, all year long. There are seasons where there, there ain't no fruit on the tree, right? In heaven, there is no season of no fruit. In, in heaven, the season is always life. The season is always life. And plenty of it. So that's what we're supposed to hear. And are you picking up the, the, the cues of Eden? Right? Now we have the tree of life again. In a moment, we're going to remember that there's a tree missing. But right now, all we're concerned about is this. There's a, there's a tree that, that expresses, that represents the abundant life, the eternal life that is in heaven. Now listen, friends, the, the presence of this tree probably doesn't mean that people have to eat some sort of magic banana in heaven in order to stay alive. This tree is a sign. It is a signal. It is a promise. John would have understood that, and his audience would have understood that, oh, there it is. It's back. Eternal life is back. Because remember, in, 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 in Eden, Adam and Eve were precluded. They were forbidden from partaking from that tree. That is what, see, that's the thing. I'll just cut to it now. You see, that's the thing that was lost. When, because of sin, that tree and access to it, that promise was lost. But in Jesus, it's restored. In Jesus, he said, I have come that you might have life and life abundantly, eternally. It starts now and never, ever stops. And note this. The leaves of that tree are for the healing of the nations. Let me ask you, if a, hel- if a tree is healthy and alive and flourishing, does it have lots of leaves? Right? Some of our trees right now, they're entering a season where all the leaves are gone. Right? But in, if a tree is in its prime and flourishing and lots of fruit, there's going to be a whole lot of leaves, right? The leaves are a natural and concurrent Expression of the tree's life. Leaves are normal. Leaves are normal for healthy trees. Somebody say leaves are normal. Interesting. Leaves, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. I want to say that this, this, does prob- this probably does not indicate that anyone will need to be healed in heaven. No, it's... Rather, it tells us that healing is a fundamental part of and an expression of eternal life. Healing, here's fruit of abundant life, here's the fruit of of eternal life, and here this, and the leaf, that the normal, concurrent, similar expression of life is our leaves. Healing is is a necessary, it's a normal part of eternal life. The reason that Jesus, the Jesus we read of in in this text, the reason that Jesus comes and he is a healer is because Jesus is the prince of life. 
He is the author of life, the prince of life. And so it is normal for him to be a healer. Eternal life and healing, those ideas, those expressions are not separated in heaven. They're not separated. If you believe eternal life is for everyone who believes, for everyone, if eternal life is the inheritance for everyone in heaven, then you must believe the same for healing. Eternal life includes healing for the nations. What this means is that healing is the inbreaking of our promise. It is the sign. It is a sign, one of the signs of the promise of the age to come. Healing originates. Where does healing come from? It comes from there. It literally is importing the promise. And how, how do we have authorization for that? In the name of the Prince of Life himself. Where does, what's the substance? Where does it come from? From the Holy Spirit, from that same river. So the Holy Spirit ministering right now in the, name of the, in the name of Jesus, the King, the Prince of Life, that's where healing comes from. That's why we expect it. It's normal. It is the sign of there. It is the paradigm of that promise. It's the inbreaking of the promise. Secondly, it, we should believe this. Healing is normal. It is not exceptional. It is not rare. But it, it is as normal as our leaves are normal on the tree. Third, healing is for everyone. God's mission is to heal the nations. Healing is for the nations. It's not for the exceptions. This means you can have hope. This means you can have hope. Anyone, everyone, if you are part of the nations, there is healing from heaven for you. And it isn't rare, and it is not a reward for your good behavior. It is a consequence of the victory of Jesus Christ. It is normal. It is part of eternal life. Finally, the first part of verse 3. There will be no curse. Would you all say it with me, please? There will be no curse. There is the river of the Spirit, eternal life, healing, and no curse. The curse had come upon creation after and because of man's sin. But by chapter 21 of the book of Revelation, sin and Satan himself are destroyed. And the first order of things has been done away. The Lord, the one on the throne in Revelation 21.5 has said, Behold, I make all things new. Everything that was part of the first order of things has, just, has, has, has gone away. All that was infected by sin and the curse, all that was aff affected by the curse is gone. Now, when you were, if you're a first century reader, that, that the idea of a curse or the curse is not ambiguous. 
<laughs> I just thought of something. Maybe some of you in this room might think, oh, that means there's no cursing in heaven. Well, there probably isn't any naughty language in heaven. But, but, uh, 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 but there's more to it than that. If you were a, a good, if you were a good uh, uh, a Jewish person, you would have learned this. You would have memorized much of the, much of the, the, the Pentateuch, if not the whole, the whole uh, parts of the Old Testament, but especially the book of Deuteronomy you would have been exceedingly familiar with. The book of Deuteronomy establishes what's called Deuteronomic theology uh, for us in, in, in hindsight. In other words, that, that it established what the, their, their, their belief patterns were really set in motion by what the theology of the book of De- Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy sets up, it talks about the blessings and cursings. That there's blessings for obedience to the, to the law. Not salvation by the law, but blessings for obedience to it. And there, were, there was, a, there was cr- a curse that came with it. A curse that came upon sinful disobedience. And that curse was not ambiguous. Here's what they would have known. They would have seen. Let me just, there's, a, there's quite a bit, but let me just highlight some things. So that it's, Deuteronomy says, these curses will come upon you. And here's what some of them sound like. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the country. That's pretty much everywhere. Now, it gets worse. Cursed shall be the offspring of your body. The Lord will send curses, confusion, and rebuke in all you undertake to do. The Lord will make pestilence cling to you until he has consumed you. The Lord will smite you with consumption and fever and inflammation and with fiery heat and the sword and blight and mildew. Verse 23, the heaven which is over your head will be bronze and the earth underneath you iron. The Lord will smite you with madness and blindness and bewilderedness of heart. Listen to this. You shall have sons and daughters, but they will not be yours. They will go into captivity. In other words, a the effect of the curse is that people lose their kids. Not, to, not even to death, but to foreign armies, to, foreign th- to things foreign to every... To th- when you, it's, this is about, our, about kids losing a generation to violence and even talking, thinking about, think, think about losing kids to gangs and violence and, and countercultural stuff that steals their hope and their future. All of that's expression of the curse. Listen to this, verse 54. The man who is refined and very delicate among you, that sounds delicate, doesn't sound very good, but think about someone who has dignity. The man who is refined, gentle, a gentleman. The gentleman among you shall be hostile toward his brother and toward the wife he cherishes and toward the rest of his children who remain. The curse is expressed, you can see it, in inexplicable hostility in relationships. shouldn't be there. It says the same thing, the, the, the refined and delicate woman among you who should not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground for delicateness or refinement shall be hostile toward the husband she cherishes and toward her son and daughter. Conflict, friction, ugliness in the home. You hear that? Conflict and ugliness in our most valuable relationships, all of that are expressions, consequences of, 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 of sin's infection, the curse. Disease 
bewilderment, confusion, frustration. God can't hear my prayers. The ground is iron, means there's no, nothing's being produced. I'm frustrated in heaven. I'm frustrated on earth. Severe, look at verse 59, severe and lasting plagues, miserable and chronic sicknesses. Then finally, verse 60, he'll bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt which, of which you were afraid, for they'll cling to you. All of that stuff and more is part of the curse. How many think I, you don't want anything to do with that? How many would like someone to save you from that? I have good news. I have great news, in fact. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In heaven, there's no trace, no scent, no, no fragrance, no hint, no clue, no investigation. There's no evidence of a curse or that there ever has been one. It's gone forever. And the good news is, right now, you and I serve the Prince of Life, the Lord of Life, Jesus Christ himself, who went to the cross and, and took upon himself the punishment for all of our sin. He absorbed the power of that curse and broke it forever. And right now, because of, and he secured that promise for you forever. And that means right now, you and I live as people who are redeemed from every curse there. If you see... So you see, you can say this, if you see a curse written down in there, the first thing you see is, I know that curse isn't up there. So if I see it there, I know what? It's not legal here. If I see it there, if I see that stuff, I think, wait a minute, that's not legal. It's not legal for my kids to be stolen from me by a culture that would seek to destroy them. It's not legal for them to be trapped and sold as slaves. It's not legal for there to be unrighteous hostility and friction in my home. It's not legal. It's not legal for disease to cling to me or to my family. It's not legal. Though all of that is part of something that's been overcome by Christ Jesus himself. It's not there, and it's not supposed to be part of my life here. We live between the ages. You say, but Dav, yeah, Dav, yeah, there's lots of that stuff around. I know. We live between the ages. Kingdom, tribulation, perseverance. But what that means, my dear friends, is that you and I do not put up with the effects of the curse. We don't cope with the curse. We overcome the curse. Because Christ has already overcome it for us. Because there is no curse in heaven means that I have a target. I have a goal. I have a template for what to contend for here. But I don't contend for it in desperation or panic. I don't have to break into a sweat. I can contend for it in solid, peaceful, resting faith. Me, con me contending for the promises of God don't look like the prophets of Baal slashing themselves, hoping and crying out for a God who will never hear them in the first place. It looks like Elijah saying, you know what, I'm just going to prepare an altar and surrender and let the God who answers by fire reveal himself. You see, friends, what's coming is coming, and there's no stopping it. It's coming. It's coming downhill, and, and there's no, there's, it, it's coming with such gravity and such momentum. It's coming. It's coming, and you can't stop it. And if that's what's coming, then that's what I'm living for. That's what I'm setting my sights on and my faith on. So I will press in 
I will contend, I will believe for the fullest manifestation of that promise that's possible. If Jesus said, if Jesus said, as in heaven, so on earth, I understand in a broader biblical context that that doesn't necessarily mean that, that, uh, it's, that, that it, everything will be complete. At one, it's going to take Revelation 21 and 22 for that to be totally complete. But I don't have to just draw some arbitrary line saying, ah, this is about as much as I'll expect. I'm going to set my expectometer on heaven until I get there. Our promise is paradise restored. And it is the pledge that we've been stamped with today. The promise of heaven is not just a return to Eden, but a new one. Where the river of God's spirit flows, where there is eternal life, where there is healing, where there is no curse. And you and I have been stamped with that very same eternity. The power of that promise is present in us and on us by the Holy Spirit today. As the church, our lives bear that pledge and that promise. We have the Spirit of God. We have eternal life. We have the pledge of healing, and we have been redeemed from the curse. Therefore, we measure our life. We measure our identity. We measure our purpose, not by our history, not by our circumstance, but by the promise. Would you stand and just pray this prayer with me? If you don't know it, someone next to you does, you'll hear it. Just pray the first part with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Say this next part with me. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's give the Lord praise. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, today's a good day to surrender to Him. Could I ask you just to bow your heads in prayer as we close this morning? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've not asked Him to come in and reign in your heart as Lord, you can do that today. Could I ask you please just to bow your heads across this room? Next week we're going to have a public time of water baptism. This is a great time. If you're not, if you want to say, hey, you know what? I want to be baptized in water. I want to, I want to make sure about that. Then that's next week. But right now, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the hope of, of heaven. Is there anyone here who's not sure that you're going to heaven? I don't know how else to say it. I have to just trust the Holy Spirit to pull on your hearts today. Jesus Christ is the one who opens the way for us to have eternal life in heaven. Apart from him, we are hopeless. We cannot cannot earn it. He doesn't measure it one way or another. But you know how we get eternal life? He plants it inside us right now. He comes and moves into your life by the Holy Spirit. Becoming a Christian, being saved, is not merely just a, a, an agreement with something that you think is true. It is letting God himself move inside of you in life and in power by receiving the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's real. It's powerful. It's personal. With your heads bowed across this room, is there anybody here you say, say, would say with me, 
okay, Dav, I want that today. I want to be saved today. Would you lift your hand right now so we can pray with you? We want to pray with you this morning. Come on, don't leave here without possessing this promise for yourself. Lift your hand if that's you. We'll pray with you today. I want to possess that promise. All right, friends. Every single one of us then, listen to this clearly. You have been stamped with eternity. You have been stamped with the, the promise of paradise. And I know the world around you isn't that yet, but you've been stamped with it. It's your destiny and it's your assignment today. Be the evidence, be the sign of what's coming. <laughs>